What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brennan Schaefer alongside you here on Thursday, June 3rd, breaking down, unfortunately, another Cardinals loss as St. Louis unable to get back in the win column tonight against the Cincinnati Reds as they kicked off a new homestand at Bush Stadium in downtown St. Louis. Adam Wainwright on the hill tonight for the Cardinals, a very uncharacteristic beginning to the start for Adam Wainwright as within the first inning, he hit consecutive batters, one of which scored a run for the Reds as the bases were loaded at that point. Wainwright said later on after the game on Zoom that it was just a matter of trying to be a little bit too perfect with his pitches, said he was perhaps giving a little bit too much credit to the Reds lineup, understandably so, given that the Reds have some really quality hitters. Jesse Winker and Nicholas Castellanos rank within the top four in all of Major League Baseball and OPS coming into tonight. And Jesse Winker did nothing to hurt himself in that category as he hit a big home run off Wainwright in the second inning of tonight's game to put the Reds back in the lead after the Cardinals offensively really got things started off on the right foot. They were doing everything that you want to see from this team when you don't necessarily have the home run ball working, which the Cardinals didn't tonight. That's sometimes okay if you're able to manufacture runs, and that's what the Cardinals did early on. Tommy Edmond, base hit, steals second base, and then a really good at-bat by Dylan Carlson, works a full count, and then hits a soft ground ball to the right side of the infield, kind of gives himself up with the swing, but does exactly what he needs to do to facilitate getting that run home. Cardinals get a man on third, one out, and Tyler O'Neill with 108.3 miles per hour off the bat. Lines one through the left side of the infield to plate a run. And then O'Neill just showcasing his ability to impact the game in multiple ways. Gets to second base on a chopper by Nolan Arenado. And then on a base hit by Yadier Molina. Scores on a ball that was, you know, hit into the air. But outfielder had the opportunity to charge it and make a good throw home. Kind of sailed it up the line a little bit, though. And that's what speed can do for you as Tyler O'Neill scores that run. Just love the way he's impacting the game right now for the Cardinals. Of course, we talked about it the other night when he had the big ninth inning, stealing second base, scoring the go-ahead run on the Edmundo Sosa base hit, and then making the big play on Mookie Betts to end the game. Cardinals end up winning game two of that series against the Dodgers, and it was the only win they got against Los Angeles in that series. So just showing the ways that he can impact baseball games with all the tools that he has, really the only tool that I would say he doesn't necessarily have, if you talk about a guy being a five-tool player, etc., I would say contact, not necessarily one of his tools. He's got the throwing arm. He's got the ability to catch the ball, a great fielder. He's got the power. There's no question about that. And his speed is among the best in the game. As far as contact goes for that fifth tool, you know, he's probably not going to be a guy that will hit for a high average over a period of time over the course of even this full season right now doing okay in that department as Tyler O'Neill sits at a 280 batting average after a one for four game tonight 915 though the OPS we talked about it whether he hits for 280 like he's doing now or 250 or 240 or 270 whatever the case might be you know that if the power numbers continue to be where you expect because he does damage when he puts the ball into play that OPS is going to be pretty high, and it's going to be buoyed up by a, a really strong slugging percentage. And so just got a base hit single tonight, but it was what the Cardinals needed in that first inning to 
kind of get things back after Adam Wainwright struggled through the first inning. Only gave up one run in that inning, but it was a guy that he hit a batter to load him up, and then he hit the next one to score the run. Cardinals got that lead back. It was Winker who hit the home run, I believe something like 425 feet into right field in the second inning to put the Reds up 3-2. to two. And from there, a couple of things happened. One, Adam Wainwright settled in in a major way. Threw 50 pitches through two innings, not where you want to be. He's talked about in the past, just earlier this season, the idea that he would like to be whatever inning he's in. He wants the first digit of his pitch count to start with that number. Not realistic, as we've talked about before, as you get into the 5th, 6th, and 7th inning to necessarily be able to keep that pace because it's not really a, a, a fair pace because after two innings, if you've thrown 29 pitches, that's still 14 and a half pitches per inning. But when you get into the seventh inning, if you're at 79, that's a much narrower margin. It's something like 11.2 pitches per inning. So it gets more difficult to do as a game goes along. Adam Wainwright had literally no chance of getting it done tonight because, as I said, he was at 50 through two. But then he throws only 55 pitches the rest of his outing over the course of five additional innings. 11 pitches per inning after starting at 25 pitches over the course of the first two. Wayno goes through seven, really settled into his outing. Did hit one more batter on a curveball later in the game. Sets a career high for Adam Wainwright. Three hit by pitches in a given game. Had never done that before in his major league career. And Jeff Jones pointed the stat out to me tonight up in the press box. In 2009, he only hit three guys the entire season. So definitely an anomaly of a game for Wainwright from that perspective. However, the fact that he's able to get through seven innings, only gives up three runs, and really settle down as far as the pitch count is concerned, huge step in the right direction for Wainwright after a really rocky start. Had a couple of really quick innings, too. Had one at eight pitches and one that was only five pitches to get through. I believe it was the sixth inning. One of those middle innings, just five pitches for Wayno. So he was able to bring it around, and the Cardinals absolutely needed that. I know it comes in a loss. The Cardinals lose this game 4-2. to two. I guess I've kind of buried the lead. I didn't give you the score this far into the podcast. I could go back and edit it, but I've got a dentist appointment pretty early in the morning, and so I'm going to try to just rip through this thing as quickly as I possibly can. How crazy is it? I, I had my wife set that up, by the way. I, I don't like going to the doctor or the dentist, but my wife says, well, you need to do this and you need to do that, and so when she says what I need to do, I say, well, if you set it up for me, I'm obviously going to go. Set up the dentist appointment. She says, well... And the other thing is, we're supposed to have the internet guy come tomorrow morning, too. It's a whole thing. But when she was on the phone with the dentist, they said, well, we can get you in tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., or we can get you in in September. I was like, well, I guess I better go tomorrow morning. So that's what's happening. Anyway, I digress. Even though it comes in a 4-2 to two loss for the Cardinals, the fact that Wainwright was able to give them seven innings, you didn't have to feel like you had to waste any of your leverage relievers and again, we can get into this conversation of they bring in Ponce de Leon. He gives up a run in the eighth. Hasn't really looked quite like you want to see in his last couple handful of outings. ERA up above seven at this point in time. And they're just still searching to find those answers in middle relief. Thought for a moment that Ponce could be one of those answers. He hasn't really consistently been able to be that as of late. Of course, the news that we learned this afternoon, Tyler Webb has been designated for assignment. That's a little bit of a different category because we're talking about lefties versus righties. But Webb just has not been able to get the job done this year in the 14-3 blowout that we did not podcast about yesterday because I I honestly sat down and thought, I could do this, but I just, I don't think anybody's going to care or listen anyway, so we're going to skip a day. And 
that's kind of what we did, especially considering the fact that the game didn't get over till well past you know midnight or so with the eight ten start. So it was already pretty late, and we scrapped it for Wednesday. But Tyler Webb DFA, not a surprise. A lot of you had been calling for it, and he gets the ERA up to three point or pardon me, not three point two two, but thirteen point two two with another. I think it was three earned runs that he gave up. In Wednesday's game, the writing was kind of on the wall. As much as Mike Schilt has liked going to him over the past few years, and for 2018 to 2020 when he was with the Cardinals, he had an ERA of 3.03, I believe. I calculated earlier today. So it's not that he wasn't a reliable guy for them at one point in time. He just could not figure it out this year. And a major reason for that is John Mozeliak in an afternoon Zoom with the media said, you know, his walk rate, it's just not sustainable to be able to do that and and get outs. He had 19 walks and just 16.1, 16 and a third innings pitched, and you just cannot do that at the major league level and expect to have success. You know, we've talked about John Gant and the way he's flirting with danger every time he goes out there. And look, he absolutely is leading the league in walks allowed is not a sustainable answer for a quality starting pitcher. But even John Gant has only walked 34 in 50 and two-thirds innings, which is a, a rate per nine of six walks per nine innings, which is not good. Tyler Webb was up above 10, and it just was, I mean, you just cannot do that. And Tyler Webb was paying for it pretty often because I, I don't think, frankly, he has stuff quite as good as John Gant to be able to get out of situations. And so once you're walking, guys, now you're going to have to be a little bit too fine guaranteeing that you're throwing a strike and you're serving them up, as Tyler Webb has done over the course of this season. And so Cardinals DFAM, they bring back Andrew Miller. We did not see Miller tonight. Did not see Gallegos, did not see Reyes, did not see Henesis Cabrera because the Cardinals did not get themselves into a position late in this game to where they were tied or could take the lead. And so you're able to save those guys for another night, which is good. But last night you had to use two innings of Woodford, two innings of Elledge, two innings of Junior Fernandez. And so... Those guys were pretty well spent, and that's where, what left you with Daniel Ponce de Leon, unless you wanted to go to Andrew Miller. But again, it's the righty versus the lefty. Probably not ideal to have to get Andrew Miller into that first situation as well after a month on the IL because you are within one run when that game goes to the eighth inning. Ponce gives it up. Now it's 4-2. to two, And then we get into the conversation about what I think kind of dominated the, the chatter on Twitter, understandably so. The decision to go with consecutive bunts in the ninth inning. Now, presumably, Edmundo Sosa, which I commented at the time and said maybe the best bunt I've ever seen, gets it down perfectly down the third base line. That's after a Matt Carpenter base hit, which, by the way, i got to look this up once they update because I'm too lazy to do it without the baseball reference tool to my benefit, and they don't tend to update baseball reference until the next morning. And so I'll look at the game logs and figure this out exactly exactly what it is before I tweet it out. But Matt Carpenter's OPS over the last couple of weeks or so, very sneakily, and you can use the arbitrary endpoints as I'm going to do, but it was 871 over like the previous however many games. It was like 5 for 17 with three walks, and then he went 1 for 3 tonight with another walk. So improving upon that a little bit. Quietly doing a lot better offensively in the, the sparing opportunities that he's had ends up getting that base hit to start the ninth inning off tonight. And then, like I said, a really good play by Sosa to just put that bunt down. But the Cardinals try to go back to the well. And again, he was probably putting that play on his own, just saw the situation. Mike Schilt was asked about it and, and praised the play by Edmundo Sosa. 
who again is figuring out a way to, to impact games as well. We talk about Tyler O'Neill, the impact that he's had. Paul DeYoung has been out for a while, and Edmundo Sosa has done a pretty good job of filling in. I said inevitably the offense was going to decline. It kind of has as of late, not where it was, where he was just out of this world offensively. But again, in this in this game tonight, able to put the Cardinals in position to make something happen in that ninth inning. But ultimately, the, the failed bunt by the next guy, Jose Rondon, it was one of the worst bunts I've ever seen. Those are going to happen, but I mean, the worst case scenario is to bunt it right in front of home plate as Rondon does, able to get the the slow-footed Carpenter heading to third, and then able to get the throw all the way back across the diamond to get Rondon going to first, who I don't know much about his stat cast sprint speed, but he didn't look especially quick on this play, but it really just wasn't close. It was just a really bad bunt fielded by the catcher, takes the Cardinals totally out of their element, and I understand the thought process behind it, which I'm going to play for you the entire explanation from Mike Schilt because he gave it at length, and I'm sure it's something that if you didn't catch the post-game show, you'd probably like to hear because that was, you know, that's the big play of this game that's going to catch a lot of attention. It's not where the Cardinals lost the game, in my opinion. They lost the game in the middle innings when they didn't get a base hit from late in the first inning until all the way into the seventh when Tommy Edmond struck another single. Innings two through six, they didn't get a hit. And you got to find a way. I mean, for a team that showed how effective they could be early in this game as far as timely hitting, using base running to their advantage, those guys have got to find a way to get somebody on base so that they can make some of those things continue to happen over the course of the middle innings. And they just absolutely went dormant until toward the end of the game. And then they had this opportunity in the ninth inning. Understand the thought behind it. I'm going to let you hear it from Mike Schilt. You'll, you'll first hear the question from the commissioner, Rick Hummel, because the way he asked it, it wouldn't necessarily make a lot of sense out of context for me to just start the Mike Schilt answer. So I'm going to give you the full question, and then I'm going to play the answer for you, and we'll talk about it after this. Mike Schilt from tonight's game, talking about the ill-fated bunt play that cost the Cardinals in the ninth. Would you take us through your thinking with Rondon trying to sacrifice in the ninth? He has not bunted a lot in his big league career. Of course, he's been in Mark Lake, but still he hasn't bunted a lot. How, how long are you going to take that uh, that with a butt with him? Well, I mean, took it to the conclusion, obviously. <laughs> you know, thought process is, um, you know, always learn who you button them over for. Um, and, you know, I don't really necessarily follow, you know, play for the win on the road, tie at home. But uh, anyway, you know, as a guy that's played multiple positions, controlled the bat, um, you know, probably should work on our bunting more in spring training with guys. You know, guys like him don't get as many opportunities when evaluated, but could have evaluated then. We work on it um, pregame, you know, as a utility type guy. Um, and, you know, the, the biggest thing is that, you know, when they ran their bunt play, effectively you get to the first or to third, you know, Carp's a harder guy to bunt over, which I can understand, but they're running a play where if you bunt at a third baseman, there's no one covering, and you got a, um infielder, you know, second baseman shortstop playing first was capable in Freeman. So really the downside of that is, I mean, the ultimate downside is actually what happened. You run right in front of the play and they turned up a play. Um, but, you know, the thought process is, you know, you, you put a play on to execute it and you get a bunt either corner. Um, you got second and third and you're butting them over. Who you butting them over for? Well, you're butting them over for Goldie and you're butting them over for Eddie. And, you know, first of all, either one of them could pop the ball to the ballpark. 
um, but they both get a base hit. The game's tied, and we've got a significant bullpen advantage at that point um, with, you know, their, their better backing guys already been used and our backing guys fresh. So that was a thought process. Didn't work. Take responsibility. So let's break down a few of the different angles of this. First, I want to kind of dive into the idea that Jose Rondon, because he plays multiple positions, maybe doesn't necessarily mean he's a great bunter. Mike Schilt kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, maybe would have liked to have seen more of him bunting in spring training to maybe know what he had in, 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 as far as that tool is concerned. I don't know Jose Rondon as a bunter. I can't say that I've ever seen him bunt in a game situation before that I can recall. It's just one of those things that, you know, he was the guy that was up to bat and you, you got to make it happen. But I almost feel like it's kind of a stereotype to uh, say, well, he plays multiple positions, so, you know, he should probably be able to bunt if the Cardinals didn't actually know if he could bunt. But that's not really the main point. It's just something that kind of struck me when I was listening back to the answer that Mike Schilt had. What's interesting is this, and I do appreciate Mike Schilt giving a very thorough explanation for what the process was on that play. I understand you're looking to get Goldschmidt, who did not start in the game today. Tyler O'Neill batted third. Goldie off the bench. You get the chance with the pitcher spot coming up to insert him into the game. If the bunt gets down, just if he if he replicates what Emundo Sosa was able to do, which again that'd be pretty difficult because Sosa's bunt was incredible. But if you can just get that bunt down anywhere but the catcher, really, and you don't pop it up, odds are, as Mike Schild alluded to it, the the play that they had on, they just weren't going to be able to get the runner at third. If you bunt it to the third baseman, they, they just aren't going to be able to get that done. And so you set up Goldsmith at the dish, runners on second and third, tying run at second, just one out. Sure, they can walk Goldsmith if they want to at that situation, but then you've got them loaded for Tommy Edmond. You've got Dylan coming up thereafter. It's just a much better situation for the Cardinals. Yes, Rondon is a guy that impressed with the bat in spring training, hit a couple of home runs. If I recall correctly, he definitely has showcased the ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And so maybe you don't want to take the bat out of his hand without knowing the degree to which he is a capable bunter. Like, I think, you know, that, that definitely does have to play into it. At this level, you'd like for everybody to be able to do it. But if a guy doesn't have that tool, then, you know, it's, it's good to know that too before putting them into the situation you, you go back to the well too many times. Like, I know the bunt for Sosa wasn't called, and it worked really great. But at that point, you know, you might just have him swing away. I think Twitter, obviously, people on Twitter and social media that I've seen hated the call to, to go with the bunt with Rondon. I had a little bit more of a difficult time finding my pitchfork on this play just because of the fact, and I tweeted this out just before I left the ballpark downtown, the idea that, this is literally the worst execution and outcome that could have happened. And so it's difficult to, in a fair way, evaluate the process of the decision through that. Because I understand wanting to get, as I said, Goldschmidt up with a tying run on second base and then forcing them to make that difficult decision of do they want to put the winning run on base or do they want to take their crack at Goldschmidt. Mike Schultz talked about, you know, he's not necessarily a proponent of go for the win on the road and go for the tie at home. But clearly, when you factor in the fact that he knew the relievers that they wanted for a potential extra inning scenario were there available, ready to go, and that the Reds had already burned some of their top arms out of their bullpen, he said we liked our chances with the pitching matchup 
the rest of the way. I, that's a little bit more difficult of a of a place to plant your flag at this point in time with the runner on second base rule and extra innings. But again, I understand all the thoughts that are kind of circulating there for the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals as he goes with that decision. It just flat out didn't work. And like he said at the end of the clip you heard, he said, I'll take responsibility. It didn't work. You know, it's a situation where the Cardinals didn't muster anything offensively throughout the entire middle portion of this game. And so I'm more inclined to point to that as the reason they didn't win than the ill-fated bunt in the ninth. The bunt was bad. It didn't. It could not have been worse. And therefore, the decision to do it, you know, you talk about results-oriented versus the process. Mike Shields explaining that process, I, you know, can understand where he's coming from there. At the same time, when, when the result, you only get one crack at it, and the result kind of takes you out of the game a little bit. You still get Edmund up, but they they more freely could walk Goldschmidt at that point in time, who I think would be a little bit more of a threat to change the game with one swing. Edmund certainly capable of getting a base hit or an extra base hit, had done so a couple of times already with a couple of singles in that game earlier on. But I think at that point in time, it, it just sets you up. It, it's, a, it's a big hill to climb after getting into that double play, puts the Reds in a much more comfortable position. And if you just play it straight up, sure, you could always ground into a double play, but more likely than not, you're going to have Goldschmidt still getting to bat as a potential winning run, being that he's a guy who can put the ball over the wall, hit a home run just yesterday before taking the off day tonight. I think I would have been more inclined to play it straight up in that situation. But then again, we have the benefit of hindsight. And so I'm trying to be fair here. I know it's easy to get the pitchforks and and feel really mad about something. But you do have to consider that the example, it's like the uh, Avengers and Doctor Strange. He sees the one. He knows the one example in which the Avengers are going to be able to win. It's got to go down that way. Well, this was the one example out of however many million of just an absolutely terrible bunt that could not have gone worse. I mean, you'd, you'd rather him bunted foul. You'd rather him bunted foul and strike out. Keep bunting until you strike out. That'd be perfectly fine compared to what actually happened because it really kind of took the sails out of what could have been a nice little rally started by Matt Carpenter. That would have been a really nice feather in his cap in that ninth inning. And you did hear Mike Schultz mention, you know, understanding that Carpenter is a tough guy to get over in that situation from second to third base because he's not a fast runner. It was just a perfect storm of bad for what the Cardinals were looking to do from an execution standpoint. And so while it's easy to pin everything on a manager, and I know a lot of people have no problem doing that, I and listen, I hope that people, when they listen to B-Shape Daily and they hear me kind of break down my thoughts on the way things went, you know, people can say I'm this or I'm a homer or I'm too tough on the Cardinals, whatever your opinion might be. I hope that you can kind of see, look, I'm evaluating this. I'm going to hear the guy out and and let him give his explanation. And sometimes I'll tell you, you know what, this is what he's saying here. I don't think bears a lot of merit. He's got to say it. What else is he going to say? Other times I'm going to say, yeah, you know, this is a process that I think if we're going to be honest with ourselves, if it had gone a different way, you might be praising the decision because the process, there was some sound elements to it. Like I said, I think I would, in in retrospect, obviously, you don't make that decision. But to take yourself back into the moment, was it a move that necessarily sounded so crazy the way it turned it out? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. It didn't work out. That much is clear. 
but I don't know that the decision itself was the reason the Cardinals lost this game. I think you can look at, A, the execution of the bunt, because, again, second and third with one out, Goldschmidt batting, tough decision for the Reds. I think that would be a situation a lot of Cardinals fans would have been happy with at that point in time. I think the execution is where you go wrong, though, because the Cardinals executed really well in the first inning to score those two runs the way they did, playing a little small ball, taking advantage and making the absolute most of the situation by two runners moving up a base on ground outs and being able to to score because of it both in both cases that's really good baseball then you go throughout innings two through until the seventh without getting even a single base hit that's bad execution offensively and then when you get a little bit of something started in the ninth you fail to execute the bunt it's with the guy who had just recently been called up Rondon has not made his mark offensively in any major way as of yet with St. Louis. And so, you know, do you trust him to not ground into the double play? There's a lot of factors that go into that. And so it is really an interesting part of the game. Normally, you don't have a guy like Paul Goldschmidt off your bench to be able to plug into that situation, knowing that arguably your, your best hitter hasn't been the case this year. But over the course of, you know, the last few seasons, your best hitter, you have the chance to pull him off the bench and put him into that spot. It, it was a unique situation. It did not pan out for the Cardinals. Uh, I think overall, though, they should have executed better in the, in the rest of their game. It, it sounds like a little bit of a cop-out to say that, but I hope, like I said, you think I evaluate things fairly. I, I genuinely try to. In this case, not the call maybe that I would have made, but I also I don't know with how much certainty that I, I can say that because we only saw the really, really bad example of it not working out. Appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of Be Safe Daily. Probably going to wrap things up here. Did want to mention real quick, shout out to my buddy Steve. Uh, made a nice contribution uh, t- to me for for just the, the, the work I've been doing with Be Safe Daily. Uh, I do have the option to contribute financially uh, on Anchor, anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash support if you want to do that. But they have kind of limited options. You can do like a monthly donation to support the cause support my ability to continue making these podcasts moving forward. But I said, you know what? I have Venmo, and, and he had reached out to me and said, hey, I would love to, to help out with what you're doing. Appreciate the heck out of that because it definitely makes it a little bit more worthwhile when I'm doing these on a daily basis. So if anybody else would love to uh, to to pitch in, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to say no. So appreciate you guys, though, for just listening, being able to talk Cardinals baseball with you all. The direct messages I get on Twitter, people saying, hey, loving the show, or maybe in a reply to a tweet, I always love to hear that. Definitely keeps me going. As sometimes it gets a little bit grueling. Like I said, you know, no podcast yesterday. When you lose fourteen to three, there just maybe wasn't a lot to talk about. But by and large, we're trying to get you as many episodes as we can per week, as much content as possible for B Shape Daily listeners. If you haven't subscribed to the show just yet, I would love to welcome you aboard. Head over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Hit the subscribe button. Leave a review. Would be awesome if you did. But that's going to do it for this edition of B-Shafe Daily. Appreciate you guys once again. We'll be back at it on Friday night after Game 2 between the Cardinals and the Reds. If you want to get down to Bush Stadium for one of the games this weekend, they're doing the Baby Blue jersey giveaways. But I think the players involved are Jack Flaherty, Miles Michaelis, Paul DeYoung, all of whom are on the injured list right now. It's a mystery player, but I, I think those are the three options. Uh, there might be a fourth one. I I don't know that there is. And so that's kind of a bummer, but uh, probably a pretty cool jersey giveaway that they're doing. So that'll be Saturday, or pardon me, Friday, Saturday, Sunday 
in those games. Cardinals looking to get back in the win column. They could definitely use a W tomorrow night as they've now lost four of their last five dating back to the final game of the Arizona series. And then, of course, losing two of three to the Dodgers over the weekend and dropping the opener against the Reds tonight on Thursday. So we'll see how the Cardinals are able to respond on Friday night, and we'll talk about it on B-Shape Daily afterwards. We appreciate you guys. Talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily.